This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's get it going. Happy Monday. It is July 31st. It's another edition of Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon and primetime Peter Klein. Hello, hello, hello. Mr. Klein, it is good to see your face again, sir. Yeah, good to see you. Good to be here while the sun's shining. I was going to say, uh, yes, you've you've graced these airwaves once again at a different uh, time slot, but it's good to have you back when uh, most people are up and about. Yeah. Nice think- to nice to not walk here and worry about what's happening at uh, 4 in the morning on the streets of Calgary. Uh, PK is along with us all week long here on Sportsnet today, and we got a busy Monday show for you. We're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Alongside our outstanding producers this afternoon, Cam and Taylor. It was a busy weekend in sports. UFC 291. Happened over the weekend. The Stampeders fell Ugh. to the Montreal Alouettes. Good news is, is they're still somehow not the worst CFL team in the province because that belongs to the Edmonton Elks, who at least made some changes today. We'll get into that later on this hour. Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched, radio home of the Edmonton Elks, will join us to talk about the changes Chris Jones makes to his staff today. Ben Shulman. Radio play-by-play voice for the Toronto Blue Jays here on Sportsnet will join us. A major rental addition for the Toronto Blue Jays, a major add to their bullpen as we get closer to trade deadline on Tuesday. Talk to Ben about what Jordan Hicks adds there and what potentially the Jays could have left to do ahead of the trade deadline. And, of course, uh, we mentioned the Stampeders. Patrick Dumas got your stamps report coming up a little bit later today but pk i think the last time you and me were in studio together i can't remember if we had shows after this or not but i want to say the Bo horvat trade yes yeah was and the last time that you and me were together here. yeah that wasn't even a, a planned you and me thing it was just you were still here wrapping up your shift and uh the vancouver canucks decided that was a good time to trade Bo horvat um, and so we were like, all right, let's just do this thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and before that, it had been, it's been a while, too. So, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Good, sir. Happy to be here, though. Uh, Excited. It's good, it's good to see you again. Yes, that was back in January. Canucks trade uh, Bo Horvat for Aturati, uh, Beauvillier, and a first-round pick, which turned into Sandine Pelk, I believe. Right. Because that got traded in the Ronick trade. Yeah. Yeah. They so. they went from, oh, yeah, first round pick in a good draft to, you know what? Philip Ronick. Let's uh, <laughs> let's roll with that instead in just another fantastic piece of team building by the, the Canucks of Vancouver. Uh, Canucks are going to Canuck. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, PK, like I said, you've been around. You've been on the, the mornings the last week or so here. What is it? You're going back to before. You did this before, too, right? Like You were... You've done afternoons with, with Steinberg and Pinder for a bit. Yep. You've done mornings before, so you've done both before. <laughs> yes. Do you have a preference? Like, are you a morning guy? No. No, I'm not a morning guy. I am generally sloth-like in nature. Um, <laughs> and waking up at 3.30 in the morning doesn't help that. 
Fair. Uh, so I do think like I can I can put it on for a little bit, um, but I, I would absolutely prefer the uh, afternoon side of things. The one thing I like about mornings is you are kind of reacting more to, to what happened the night before. And we, like you, you do that in afternoons too, but yeah. there's a lot of getting ready for what's happening. So it's um, there's pros and cons to both, but the, the sleep and overall health of things, I, I much rather this one when it's sunshiny and nice outside. It is. It is one of those on a Monday and uh, we got plenty to react to and get ready mm-hmm. for. Uh, today, I thought we'd start off looking back at what was a really interesting weekend from a number of of different perspectives. I guess on the local front, uh, best to start with the Calgary Stampeders, uh, a really tough, disappointing outing in Montreal, uh, 25-18, your final score, and the Stampeders now look ahead to a month that is brutal. I, I mean, as tough of an August schedule as I can remember for this team. Uh, coming up, they will take on the Toronto Argonauts at home. They will travel to BC. They will welcome in Winnipeg, and then they will travel to Toronto. Those are the top teams in the West <laughs> and the top team in the entire CFL. I don't know what th- th- this is. What I think will drive Dave Dickinson to drink at night is the inconsistency. Yes, that has to be first and foremost the most frustrating thing about this team is. I don't know how they go from Jake Mayer putting up 450 yards against Ottawa right. to not scoring a touchdown against Montreal. Yeah, and on the other side, the defense, um, to, to, to quote great philosopher Bart Scott, couldn't stop a nosebleed against Ottawa in, in Week 7, come out in Week 8, and play pretty well, hold them, definitely should win that game. And then they don't win that game. It is so unstampeder like uh, what we talk about my time here before, and as someone who didn't grow up cheering for this team, to have to talk about like a, a dynastic level of a, a franchise that just did everything right. No, oh, yeah, we brought a defensive lineman in to play offensive line, and he played great, and we won thirty five eighteen. It was just like it just nothing could happen to throw this team off kilter until November, and now you look at it, and it's just there, there's never the three phases. Going right. The offense will stumble one game, and then they'll pick it up, and the defense will stumble. And then uh, Renee will miss a, a point after, or so. Uh, but then he'll be eight or, for eight uh, or, field goals. Or Mario Alford goes off for, for two returns, right. and special teams hurts you, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's never been everything together. And when you look at the, the schedule here, uh, like you said, coming up, it is just an absolute murderer's row before you get to the, the Labor Day, what you would hope are free spaces on the bingo card. But, I mean, who knows? Because coming into this, this was kind of the make hay while the sunshine stretches, right? Like going up against Ottawa, who's on their 18th quarterback, going up against Saskatchewan. um, You do get one win out of Saskatchewan, but you probably needed that second one against the Mm -hmm. Riders. If you're going to to be making up ground, you are going into a stretch where you might not win for a month. um, And you are going to be the betting underdog substantially in all of these games now. The only saving grace is, A, no one out east is doing anything, so that crossover spot could be there. And Saskatchewan is no great shakes either. So it's frustrating on the one hand because you could absolutely have put Saskatchewan, maybe not in the rearview mirror, but at least behind you by now. Uh, Instead, you you are now looking at this horrible stretch and just hoping that Saskatchewan continues to stub their toe all the way along and you can kind of keep pace. And it's it's tough because I don't want to discount the injuries because that's that's a factor and that's it's mm-hmm. I don't want to use it as an excuse because I still think there's enough talent on this team and there's enough veteran presence. The the inconsistency to me isn't purely driven by injury and I know that that's a big factor, but 
there's just too much uh, of of everything going. You're right. If they had had half of the defensive performance they had against Montreal against Ottawa, they they walk away laughing in that game. It's yeah. not even close. Yeah, that's the best offense they've ever seen, and they ran the ball like six times all game long. That's that's disappeared from their lexicon all of a sudden. Defensively, you know, again, it's tough. You lose Trey Roberson. That's another blow. You lose Trey Roberson and James Waters in the same week, but yeah. somehow the defense is still your most consistent aspect. Right. I just don't – I have no idea how you get a feel for this team right now. And, like, at, at this point, would 500 be a win in August? If you somehow oh, came like, out 2-2? Two and two? If you win a game, you, you – do you remember what you just ran through? I know. That, that's I schedule? know. I know. If, if you win any of those, there should be a parade of Stampeders in here talking about it the next day. Like, Toronto, that's a loss. They're the best team in the league. Uh, next week, BC, best team in the division. That's a loss. At BC, by the way. Next week, home against Winnipeg. Uh, that's going to be an L uh, because that is, again, extremely talented team. Basically, the Blue Bombers are what the Stampeders were five years ago. Uh, then you're going back on the road. It's Toronto, not a great home field advantage, but they're better than you. That's a loss. Uh, so, yes, I would say oh for August, and anything else is a gigantic, gigantic win at this point. Winnipeg was off this week with the BC Lions, did what the BC Lions have done to the Edmonton Elks, and that shut them out this year. 27 nothing is your final. It is the longest streak in uh, North American pro sports history. 21 straight losses for the Edmonton Elks. We'll save this for our chat with Reed Wilkins coming up uh, later on this hour, but the Elks are making some changes to hopefully right the ship. Argos, we just mentioned them, 6-0. and they beat the Rough Riders on Saturday, 31-13 for touchdown Atlantic. And uh, Hamilton, winners over the Ottawa Red Blacks, 16-12. But <laughs> Bo Levi Mitchell, injured again, put on the six-game injured list, uh, even while he played PK. And look, we love Bo here uh, on, on Sportsnet 960. He's one of our guys. But five interceptions while he was out there. Didn't look particularly sharp no. in that game. Um, is then in on a weird situation where he probably shouldn't even be in for the play that he gets hurt on, uh, but is now back on the six-game injured list. And, man, Hamilton, uh, this has got to be, with all the money they spent on Bo and James Butler and Jameer Thurman and all of these guys hosting a Grey Cup this year and trying to end that streak that's been really stymied by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers the last three or four seasons. Yeah. Hamilton's had a... T- a a talented enough team to win it. Totally. Now the the lights are on, the pressure's there, and they have just fallen flat. I know yeah. they beat Ottawa, but, man, Bo back on the six-game injured list, and this team is uh, one of those teams that you're you're thankful right now for Calgary to be around in the East because <laughs> you're right. It gives you life if you're Calgary in a potential crossover situation. Yeah, it does. And, like, for Hamilton, it's – you said it. Like, we have a ton of respect for Bo. Uh, what he did in Calgary was absolutely phenomenal. And he was in here on the bow show and we had a lot of fun with that, but it, it's just, it's tough to watch now and he can't stay healthy long enough to get into that rhythm. I question whether that matters at this point. And for Hamilton, like desperation set in, they tried to make a big splashy move to get someone up on the billboard that everyone recognizes to, to head into this great cup. And it, it's a disaster there right now. Like they're three and four, but their point differential is minus 61. 
which is really difficult to do when you've only lost one more game than you've won. It, it is bad in, in Hamilton right now. And like you said, like there's, there are pieces around there. It's just that the quarterback play has not been consistent enough. Um, and when you're getting beat, you know, again, a minus 61 point differential, things are going a little bit rough Through on the defensive weeks. side too. Yeah. Through eight weeks. That's not a season total. That's yeah. eight weeks. Yeah. Now that's, half, that's less than half the season, PK. Now I am going off of the CFL's website, so that could that's, be wrong. Yeah, that um, might be incorrect. Yeah, that could that's be that, that could be off. But it, it's it, it is just it's really bad out there right now. And I honestly, I thought Ottawa after watching Crum uh, a couple of weeks ago against Calgary, I was like, hey, maybe they found something. Maybe they got it. Uh, Twelve points. But it's just it, it's them and it's everyone. You know, like yep. it, it's Winnipeg. Um, BC and Toronto are so clearly ahead of everyone and Edmonton is so clearly behind everyone. But then after that, everyone's dealing with some quarterback issues. Everyone's dealing with some injury problems. Um, everyone's just kind of stuck in this middle ground right now that it like you have a couple of good weeks and all of a sudden you're free and clear of all of these problems or like you do the Stampeders where it's been a couple of frustrating games and you're still just two points back of Saskatchewan and two points back of everyone else in the East for that crossover. So there is still life, but it's, it, it just, it's very frustrating and it's very unstampeters like to, to be dealing with that here in Calgary. And it's very untiger cats like to be dealing with that out in Hamilton. Well, more CFL discussion throughout the afternoon. Like I mentioned, Reed Wilkins from six 30 Chad's going to join us next segment to dive into the Elks and their historic losing streak at home and what changes Chris Jones has made to his coaching staff on this Monday, plus a Stamps report coming up with Patty Dumas. So more Stamps talk coming up throughout the afternoon. Didn't want to talk. We're going to get more into the Jays as well. Uh, they win their series this weekend against the Los Angeles Angels. A uh, bit of a sour note on Sunday, losing 3-2, but that got changed pretty quickly post-game. Uh, as Really, just as the game was finishing up, PK, we got word uh, from Jeff Passan and other MLB insiders of the Jays had met uh, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals asking price for Jordan Hicks, the hard-throwing reliever out of the pen. And I mean hard-throwing reliever out of the pen. Um, this is a major move. It's a potential major rental move. They give up two AA starters that go to AAA in the St. Louis Cardinals system and could have factored in maybe as soon as next year, depending on who you ask, mm -hmm. uh, for back-end starters at the MLB level. Um, but a, a major move for a Jays team that we were wondering what the major move was going to be ahead of trade deadline tomorrow, and this was one you really like. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. I, I've been a big Hicks fan for a while, and I, I saw the stat on, um, it's still called Twitter, right? Yes, I think um, so. uh, maybe, but we'll call yeah, it Twitter. On, on Twitter, um, the, the Blue Jays, since uh, pitch tracking and all of that has started back in 2008, the Blue Jays have zero pitches of over 102 miles an hour. Jordan Hicks is over 300. Um, so it's, th this is going to be a, a, a guy who brings a level of velocity and a level of execution out of the bullpen that the Jays haven't necessarily seen in this sort of a way. The bullpen has been all right, but we've seen the last little bit, um, extra innings. So it's, it's whatever, but the loss against Anaheim comes or against LA comes against the bullpen. A couple of losses against the Mariner, uh, comes against the bullpen. Same thing for the, the Dodgers one. It, it's been late in these ball games. And I think it's a bullpen that's been taxed a little bit, but you now add another high level reliever to the back end of this bullpen while Romano's out. He's absolutely the closer. And when Romano comes back, that is a, 
like Ward Hanky esque eight nine that the Blue Jays can now roll out there. And I think that this is a market that the Jays haven't played in a whole lot, the rental market, specifically for relievers. Normally, we're on the other end of this. Oh, yeah, David Phelps off for nameless prospect X or something like that. But this is an area that I think the Blue Jays can strengthen up. Um, I I still would like another bat. I wouldn't hate another starting arm. But we've seen, um, it was eight years ago, 2015, but when the Kansas City Royals, if you weren't winning after the fifth inning, you just lost that game. And the Blue Jays now with uh, with Swanson, with Hicks, with Romano, uh, depending on which Jimmy Garcia you get, like you can you can really do that sort of thing now out of the bullpen as well. And it just makes life so much easier when you get into September, uh, September and October. I love the fact that if everyone's healthy and pitching well, especially this year, in a key playoff game, if you can get six, maybe even five out of a starter, you shouldn't panic. And before that, I'd say you'd panic. Yeah. Even if you didn't get close to, to six and a third, mm-hmm. I'd start to panic. But in a world where if I absolutely had to, I could, in some way, shape, or form, I could go Richards, Swanson, Hicks, Romano, if I had to, yeah. and give them all an inning and say, look, you've got the inning. Yeah. And we line it up so that maybe Hicks gets the middle of the order, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, something like that, or maybe Swanson Hicks takes the the meat of whatever order you're facing. Yeah. And you can you can get those guys to sandwich it. I think you're in a good spot, right? Then I think you can you're right, you're you're right. You can play around with Garcia how he's doing. I think Yanis Cabrera's come in and shown some really good yes. things against lefties, which is nice to have. And you've got those options. You know who your guys are. Yeah. And you've got some options to play around with. You're not just, you know, sort of forced to run out guys that you're not always comfortable with in these spots. And mm-hmm. And it's nice because, yes, do I, would I love to see uh, Barrios or Gosman or Bassett or whoever go six or seven late in the season? Absolutely, I would. Right. But if they don't, I don't think the game's over anymore. Yeah. And that was a worry for me because if, if, if Gosman went five one day, you're thinking, damn it, we're done. Because yeah. we're not going to be able to plug this hole for the rest of the game. Right. Kikuchi goes six innings with uh, 105 pitches. Oh, man, this is... Are they going to get there? And now you could conceivably have, like, for those games in September against the Yankees, Judge could face exclusively in one game Gosman Hicks Romano. Yep. And you just, and then you're done. That's it. There's no Trevor Richards throwing him an 82 mile an hour fastball that he throws into orbit. Um, you, you can now go out there with, like, some real quality stuff. So this is a great addition for the Blue Jays and the type of move that they absolutely should be making right now. It has been a frustrating and inconsistent year, but this team is absolutely good enough to win the American League. And to to add to this now, I think is the type of move that I've been desperate for this team to make in a while, and and they finally do it. You and me have had these conversations on this radio station before. Be all in or be all out. Yes. Do not sit in the middle. Yeah, you are, and we've used this before. And I know, I know you'll be. The, don't be the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> don't ever be Minnesota. Right, right, where you're just right around it. Vladdy's not going to be here forever. Bo's not going to be here forever. Yeah. God knows George Springer's not going to last forever. He might, right, he might be Matt up. Chapman's gone after this year. Yeah, yeah. Th- these are why the are you not? Why would you not push your chips all in? If you feel like your team's legitimately this good, go for it. Yeah, that's that's what I've loved about you. And we've had these conversations with Tampa Bay. Just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. Think about it later. Yeah. And, and deal with the prospect shortage. You get a draft picks. You get draft picks every year in the MLB. That's the nice thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you right. Don't, you don't have to throw those around, so it should be even easier because you get to 
essentially replenish your system every single year. Yeah. Go out and sign a couple kids who are 16 years old out of uh, out of wherever, and yeah. boom, there, you're fine. Uh, but yeah, like, if the Blue Jays win the American League this year, it's not going to say 2023 American League champion Toronto Blue Jays, but they had to give up two double-A pitchers to do it, and that might be uh, an issue a little bit down the road because those guys yeah. are on triple-A. Do you remember in leagues. 2020 who Tampa Bay gave up at the trade deadline? No. No, and I don't care because no. they won. No. You know what? Way back, again, super dated references. Blue Jays traded a Hall of Famer in Fred McGriff. Got two <laughs> championships out of it. You know, sometimes you got to give up stuff to get stuff. And I have I have always kind of had a, a soft spot for Klopfenstein. Um, for, for those, both of you in the crowd who play out-of-the-park <laughs> baseball, the super nerdy baseball game, uh, the, the kid turns into an all-right pitcher. So I've liked him. But it, it's it, it's a move that I, I think you absolutely have to make. And yeah, like... Maybe maybe Bo and Vlad both signed 15-year contracts to stay with the Blue Jays, and that's great. They're never going to be this cheap again. Nope. So take advantage of these opportunities while you have them. Are the Yankees going to be this bad for this long? No, probably not. I would say the Orioles are only going to get better. Um, Tampa Bay is in a weird slipping on a banana peel spot right now. You, you have the, this opening where things have kind of opened up for you for the, the Blue Jays. I think you have to take this. I, I, I would love for this team to, to be aggressive uh, and, and keep making these types of moves. It can only do wonders for the locker room too, right? Like if you're in there, um, you have to be thinking like, okay, we, th- this team believes in us. We can do this thing now. Uh, we'll talk more Jays with Ben Shulman from Blue Jays Radio uh, a little bit later on hour two. Get his thoughts on the move with Jordan Hicks and what else potentially uh, Ben thinks that the Jays should be bringing in ahead of trade deadline. Uh, other news, uh, last week's training camp news around the NFL circled around Joe Burrow and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, unfortunately, not a great start to this week either. Uh, Adam Schefter of ESPN uh, confirming the news out of Denver. Tim Patrick has tore his ACL at Broncos training camp today. He missed all of last season after tearing an ACL. That really sucks. Uh, so that's a brutal tournament. Oh, that's so bad. For the Broncos. I don't feel any pain for the Broncos at all, but I feel no, for Tim Patrick. Tim that Patrick sucks. on a personal level for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what their third, fourth receiver probably on the depth chart Yeah, in, in Denver if he's healthy. So, uh, look, never good to see anybody go down like that. Uh, so bad news to start it out. And hopefully uh, we don't bring you a bunch of those updates all week long here on Sportsnet today. But they happen uh, during training camp, unfortunately. Uh, also today, bad start if you missed it earlier this morning. Canada's run at the World Cup is over for the women. Uh, they drop a 4-0 result to Australia and uh, are once again failed by the Federation above them yeah. uh, for bringing on so much added pressure to them. So good on the ladies. I know it didn't end how uh, they deserved it to end, but uh, good on them for going out and battling during what really is just a a joke of a, yeah. of a move by the Federation above them here in Canada. Uh, we need to treat our athletes considerably better than what uh, what they've gone through. Uh, so there's that, and the Wild re-signing goaltender Philip Gustafson to a three-year, 100, uh, 100, oh, geez, uh, <laughs> $11.25 million deal, excuse me, uh, so the Wild lock in their starting goaltender, perceivably for the next three years, uh, avoiding arbitration, and uh, Troy Terry and the Anaheim Ducks submit numbers ahead of their <laughs> meeting with the arbitrator this week, PK. They're right there. And they're almost side there. By side. They're so close, right? Yeah. It's just just a few dollars off, uh, I mean, a few dollars could be uh, Troy Terry's number from his team's perspective, or his side's perspective. Uh, he feels a deal worth $8 million should be had. The Ducks counter at $4.5 million. <laughs> so, so they're just, just a couple, 
Just a couple little tweaks, and they can't, got this thing. Can't here. believe that's going to have to go to an arbitrator. They're so <laughs> they're so close. Uh, so that's kind of what's happened this weekend. We'll dive more into it. We'll get your uh, opinions on the text line, which is very happy to have PK back at nine six zero nine six zero throughout the afternoon. Thanks for being along with us, whether live or on the podcast. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side. It's history for the Edmonton Elks. It's terrible history, but it's history, and it's finally causing their head coach to take a look at his coaching staff and make some changes. What changes has Chris Jones made to the Elks, and will it make any difference? We'll talk to Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched next on Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Saturday at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. It was another disastrous outing for Chris Jones, Edmonton Elks. Second time this season, PK, that BC has shut out the Edmonton Elks. And the second time this season, they prevented them from even entering the red zone. God, that's I don't care who you're playing or who you are. That's impressive. It is. Or very for sad, BC, depending, on, yeah, depending on your yeah, perspective. For BC, it's, it's impressive. For yeah. Edmonton... Remarkable amounts of futility. Yeah, it's been a continuation of frustration for the once great franchise in Edmonton. But perhaps today, the shifting of focus in Edmonton to better things. Head coach Chris Jones promised after the loss that he would evaluate players and coaches to do what was best for the organization. And today, Jarius Jackson has taken over play calling duties for the team. He has announced that Taylor Cornelius has been moved to the third string quarterback role and Trey Ford and Jared Daggy will battle it out for the team's starting quarterback position. Is that enough for the Edmonton Elks? Is play calling and a new quarterback enough to change things up? We'll have to wait and see. But to talk about the weekend that was, the changes that we've seen this Monday, very happy to go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline welcoming our friend from 630 Ched up in Edmonton. He is the number one fan of Atlas Pizza's pizza. It is Reed Wilkins. Reed, thanks for joining us this afternoon, man. How are you? I dreamt I was getting married to an Atlas Pizza. <laughs> So the eyes were black olives, and the smiling mouth was made out of banana peppers. It was it was actually quite a happy dream. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry to wake you up and ruin that. Then I apologize. No, no, it was overnight. Not oh, just oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> I didn't want to. I would have felt bad had we ruined that sort of dream for you, Reed. Well, no, it's okay. It's uh, you know. I know the Atlas piece is on the way, so it's I'll there. be happy when it gets here. It'll be there for you. We we make sure to take care of you. Uh, appreciate the time. It's Logan and Peter along with you. Uh, I guess take us back to, to Saturday. I know we've got some changes in the works for Edmonton today, but what was the feeling post-game uh, around the team and around the fan base for, for this Elks team falling to 0-8 after just a, a, another dismal showing out against the Lions? Yeah, well... Speaking of dreams, I mean, that was just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. it's, and the, the the sad part is that was almost expected that the offense was going to perform that poorly. I put this on my Twitter account after the game that really the offense performed to expectations. That is how bad the offense is, especially against the BC defense, which is good. They've allowed nine or fewer points in four of their eight games. They've only allowed uh, over 
I believe they've only allowed only over 20 points once, and that's a game in which their quarterback threw six interceptions. So they're really, really good. Now, the Elks aren't going to beat BC on a, on a good day, um, but you know the, the defense, which again, played okay, took some silly penalties. They took a couple bad penalties, a roughing penalty, a couple no-yards penalties on special teams, but it's hard to criticize those other areas when the offense is so blatantly incompetent. I, I mean, it, it was it was weird. It, it was a little unusual on Saturday because the, the the crowd was larger than I thought it would be for an 0-7 team. I mean, they don't really announce the attendance very much anymore, but it was it was actually a decent crowd. And for people saying, well, come on, Reed, I saw the game on TV. In Edmonton, more people sit on the side where the TV camera is and that's where I have my season's tickets because that's it's usually in the shade and you don't get as much wind on that side. It actually was a decent crowd considering. And a lot of people left early, but I was actually surprised how many people stayed until the end of the game. And that's the most booing I have ever heard of uh, of a double E team, certainly. And I've had season's tickets since 1997. Um, and and I, it's funny, like I was talking to a buddy and I said, like, the booing was justified. Like, I can remember when Ricky Ray was a, was the quarterback and they would win most of the time. And there'd be games, it was like 14-14 at halftime and fans would be booing them off the field. And I'd be thinking, <laughs> like, they're going to win in the second half. Like, it's only a matter of time. But this was justified. And I think it wasn't as – I don't think so much was directed as the at the players as much as it was against Chris Jones and the offensive former, – now former offensive coordinator Stephen McAdoo – and our broadcast crew said it. There were fans standing, you know, in front of the coaches' booth, yelling at McAdoo, like as as the as the game was going on, because the offense has been that poor. So, um, you know, it's it's just become. I mean, the the twenty one game home losing streak, guys. Like, obviously, it's bad. Like, it was bad enough when it was seven. You know, like it's almost lost context. They've lost so many home games. But it's not. That's not just the story. Like it's not as if they're four and zero at home, or four and zero on the road, and zero and four at home, and a home win or two is keeping them out of first place. Like I've been saying this on my show. I don't care where the games are played. You can play them on the moon. Win one game. Like that is the challenge for this team. Win one game. Uh, I was going to ask about the, the the fan base because with something like this, apathy can set in very quickly, and it, it was weird to hear you talk about that and think, well, at least they're booing. Um, but but how like how has the the general fan reaction been? Not just amongst Elks fans in general, but the the bigger sport fan in in Edmonton. Is this a huge deal, or is that apathy starting to to set in a little bit? Well, I think I mean obviously a lot of people are are mad. Uh, you know, certainly the hardcore fans, certainly season ticket holders, or or even you know casual fans who still pay close attention. Uh, I mean, I think that's a bigger picture question about the CFL, not just in Edmonton but across the country, because right. clearly we've seen attendance declines in most markets, regardless of team performance. In some cases, uh, I mean, I go back to 2015 when. Uh, they won the Grey Cup and they had this absolute stud of a quarterback and attendance went down in 2016, you know, so it, that's, that's a tough issue. But yeah, I think there is some apathy. I mean, I've certainly gotten messages from people saying I have never missed a game willingly, you know, work or personal commitments, but people saying I have never 
like willingly missed a game until now. I, I'm just not watching because it's not even worth watching because there's not any excitement. There's so little hope. You know, like it's it's not as if you know it's not as if they're losing thirty two twenty eight. You know, and yeah. she got a chance of the. I mean, even the team they had in twenty thirteen, which had a lot of the pieces of the championship team in twenty fifteen. Go look at their score. I mean, yeah, they got blown out three or four times, but they, like, if they they scored twenty five or more points fairly consistently. I mean, they they had a stretch, I think, of seven straight games. They lost by ten points or less. You know, like they they weren't great, but they, they were fun to watch. Riley was chucking it around like you saw stuff. This was just. I mean, here's the thing, guys. When it was six nothing BC, you knew the game was over. Yeah. And, and I, I, I sit with my parents. Like we've been going together for that long with season tickets. And I said to my mom at halftime, "We are not going to score." Like it's not even like you think. Okay, like it's sixteen nothing. They'll probably lose twenty five ten or twenty five fourteen. Like they'll come out and chuck it around. Like the offense has been that hopeless game after game after game. Reed, would would that fan frustration in your mind come more from the poor performance of the team or the lack of changes seemingly from that offense to get better? Well, I think well, I think the poor performance stems from the lack of changes. So I think that's the root of it. And that's the really interesting thing, and I guess not in a good way for Elks fans, is that Stephen McAdoo was and was not a popular offensive coordinator when he was twenty in when he was here in 2014 and 2015, when they went 12 and six and 14 and four. Um, now they had Mike Riley. And certainly when he came back from injury in 2015, you know, Riley said, we are pushing the ball. I am not only throwing these three yard passes and hoping for yak. So I think it's just this stubbornness, a from Chris Jones to stick with McAdoo and to a lesser extent, Cornelius for so long, and then just for McAdoo to insist on on calling these same plays over and over again, run pass option. Cornelius does a half rollout. He looks inside to a receiver. I mean, the team. There have been games that the Elks have had a chance in that that play has worked in the first half, and then in the second half, the, the other team has just said, "Okay, we won't even really rush him. We'll just have a guy stand there." Between him and his intended receiver, the, look. The, maybe the most infamous play of this season is the game against Hamilton, where Cornelius was being sacked, and then he tried to throw the ball with his left hand, and it got returned for a touchdown. When that happened, that was a four-point game, a four-point lead for Hamilton, and it had been a back-and-forth game, and the Elks were right in it. And if you watch that play, the the guy who was sacking Cornelius initially wasn't even trying to sack him. He was just kind of shadowing him and staying in between him and him and the receiver that he wanted to throw to. And then when Cornelius started to scramble, then he was like, okay, well, I guess I'll try to sack him. And then as he was pulling him down, Cornelius flipped it and the other guy picked it off and ran it back. So just this absolute stubbornness to call the same plays over and over again and to expect different results, very little down the field, very little creativity, you know, very little misdirection. And I think that's where a lot of the booing and the frustration was coming from. Obviously, when you're setting uh, records in North American sports for futility, it's been a long process to get here. But how how did we get to this point? Like, it doesn't feel, I, I guess, like eight years ago is actually a while, but it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that Edmonton things were actually going all right. And, and now, as we've discussed, bit of a disaster. How, how did we get here? Well, you know, I talked about this on my show a couple of weeks ago and, and, and the, you know, obviously the, 
everybody knows the history of the franchise, five in a row, great cups, strong through, you know, one again in 87, 93, didn't win again until 2003, but had good teams most of the time. I, I think really the decline of the double E franchise started in 2006. They, they won the Grey Cup in 2005 with a bit of an older roster, but they put it together, had three of the most dramatic victories you're ever going to find. And if that team doesn't win the Grey Cup, they probably move on from some of the, you know, Ed Herveys and Singor Mobleys of the world. But they kept that team together in 06, and they missed the playoffs. And then I think, uh, you know, 7 or 08, the salary management system came in. And let's face it, as good as and as great as, as Hugh Campbell and Warren Moon and, and Dan Kepley and Willie Pless and all those guys were, the, the team often just overspent or, you know, outspent other teams. You know, hey, we got this big, relatively new stadium. We, we you know, we, we, we get great crowds. You can play with all these other guys. And that started to to wane after 06. I mean, Danny Machocha didn't do a great job. Cavis Reed was, you know, okay. Eric Tillman traded Ricky Ray. Um, certainly they bounced back with Jones and Hervey at the helm in 14 and 15. And then I, I think the, the recent uh, struggles, uh, Brock Sunderland was, was not a well-liked general manager with his players. I mean, certainly a lot of ex-players criticized him quite harshly about how he treated people, about how he negotiated contracts, about the culture he created. So Edmonton stopped becoming a destination for some of the best players in the league or some of the best American players who couldn't make it in the NFL. And now they're, they're, trying to build out of all that and and again they don't have a quarterback i mean they've moved on from trevor harris from nick arbuckle all these guys are better than than cornelius so that's kind of a both a big picture going back really 17 years and then the smaller picture of what's happened the last four or five i had never put it together until you brought that up but looking at the the wikipedia page now and again i'm not breaking news to you but starting in 2006 in the west Fourth, 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 third, fourth, second, fourth, fourth, second, first, fourth, third, fifth, fourth, fifth, fifth. Holy crap! They've been to the East Final almost as much as they've been to the West Final uh, over well, that stretch. Yeah, I think they've missed the playoffs. I, I had it in my notes at work. Uh, they've missed the playoffs almost half the time since 2005 in a league where you should get in two thirds of the time, and uh, they've only hosted playoff games. Uh, what I think 2011, 2014, and 20 like only three home playoff games in 17 years, and only one of them was the West Final. So, I mean, that's Man. that's not a flagship franchise, that's not an, an elite franchise in, in a league of this size. I mean, this isn't you know the the NHL where <laughs> you know it's it's hard to even win a round in the playoffs. This is you know, mathematically, you should have you should have five home playoff games in a decade minimum, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's almost 50, 50 in the West that you'll get a home playoff game. This is the kind of stuff you guys used to make fun of us Ryder fans for. Well, you're right. And this is, and this is the thing guys. I mean, this rivals, I mean, certainly the, the, the riders of the eighties weren't very good. I mean, Calgary had a lot of lean years. Uh, I mean, even when like, I guess everybody takes a turn at the bottom. Uh, how long is this going to last in Edmonton? That's the question. But in terms of being at the bottom, like like this year, depending on like I, I I try to avoid hyperbole, and I know in broadcasting, and I think people who talk sports in general, whether it's fans or media, sometimes you're prone to recency bias. But I don't have any 
I don't have any reluctance anymore saying this is this might be the worst offense in in CFL history. I mean, certainly since they went to an 18 game schedule in 1986. I mean, they're not they're not even on pace to score. Uh, well, they were on pace to score 270 points before being shut out. I, I didn't do the new pace, but it would probably be 250. Like this yeah. is this is you know 12 points a game material. For reference, Toronto's at 217 now. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, so Reed, it's, it's been a bad offense. We know that Steve McAdoo taking the brunt of that from fans over the weekend. That causes the change we see today. Jarius Jackson gets an expanded role in the offense. He's offensive coordinator, takes over play calling duties immediately. Still going to be the quarterback coach uh, for the team, but they're going to move McAdoo to a, an advisory role on the staff on the defensive side of things. Does this move the needle? Should this move the needle for Elks fans at all seeing the changes today? Well, first of all, someone said to me, how do you put McAdoo on the defensive side of the ball? I said, well, if anybody knows about preventing points, it's McAdoo. <laughs> so I guess that's, that might be a good thing. Fair. It's, uh, you're you're not think, wrong. <laughs> in terms of moving, I'll say this. The fans, and I'll include myself as a broadcaster, yet still a season ticket holder, there had to be change. I mean, it couldn't just be Cornelius again, same plays again. So I think there might be some, not satisfaction, but at least like, okay, thank God they did something. You know, something has to change. Uh, he's not just going to stick with his buddy of 26 years or however long they've been, 24 years again. Uh, then, you know, how do they play against Winnipeg? The next game is Thursday, August 10th. And here's the crazy thing, guys. It's, as bad as this Elks team is, and like that's actually unbelievable. Like I hate the word unbelievable, but if I were to would have told you five years ago, I said, hey, guys, in the next decade, some team's going to be shut out twice in their first eight games, you would have said, no, that's not possible. So that's actually unbelievable. But as bad as they are, they have been tied in three of their eight games at halftime. And in another game, they trailed by a point, you know? So it's like, if they just could score, like, you know, they put some pressure on the other team to do something. So we'll see how they do against Winnipeg, which is, I mean, I think Winnipeg's a pretty solid uh, third best team in the league after Mm -hmm. BC and Toronto. Again, the Elks were tied in Winnipeg at the half, uh, Winnipeg wasn't playing great, but still they, they were tied. So if they can, if they can move the ball and score and keep it interesting against Winnipeg, then it's going to be like, okay, the, the change is making a difference, but you're going to be doing that with an inexperienced quarterback. Cause whether it's Daigie or Ford, that's going to be a guy basically starting his, uh, well, I guess Ford started two games. Well, he started three because he got the garbage game at the end of the year. So whatever, it's, it's still a relatively inexperienced quarterback going in. But I, I think if there's just a little more of an aggressive mindset offensively and at least pushing the ball and giving the receivers a chance to make a play, then, yeah, it'll it'll wind up moving the needle a bit, I think. If you had to guess today who comes out of that competition of the starting quarterback's role, who would you say it is? Well, I think it'll be Daggy because I think he throws the ball better. And Jones has said that, you know, Ford hasn't been that great in camp and practice. Um, I, I think it'll be Daggy just because I think he's a better pure quarterback in terms of throwing the ball. But it wouldn't surprise me if they use Ford to run around, maybe even a wildcat type guy and just create a little chaos against the defense. 
Reed, really appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Uh, fingers crossed this uh, turns around a bit for the Elks in the coming weeks here. But uh, in the meantime, that Atlas Pizza should be at your door soon, and I know that'll that'll satisfy you at least for the next week or so. My my wife is on the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. Reed Wilkins joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Host of Inside Sports on 630 Ched up in Edmonton, the home, uh, the radio home of the Edmonton Elks. And uh, I have no idea, PK, if Jarius Jackson fixes it. I don't know if Jared Daggy fixes it. Uh, I would just be really damn happy that there's some sort of admitted change. Even on, yeah. even on Saturday, Daggy got in with like, what, a minute 27 left? Why? Right. Why? What did Cornelius, even Cornelius was like, this is... This sucks. Yeah. Like, I'm a professional quarterback, and I'm a little sick of this right now. Please put one of the other guys in. Please. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they didn't do it until it didn't. It, 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 well, I mean, it didn't matter earlier, but right. it really didn't matter with a minute 27 left. Yeah. No, it, it's it's really, really bad there in Edmonton. I hadn't realized that whole 2006 thing until he brought it up. Like that's, the, a, that's a crazy stat that he had that I didn't even. I'm with you. I, I watch as much CFL as anybody like you do. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't even assume it was yeah, that because they're, they're always just kind of around, you yeah. know? But, like, the last time it's been this bad in Edmonton, they broke out of it by facing two Rough Rider teams in the playoffs. Like, it's it's been a minute um, since, since we've had that scenario. It, it's real bad there. And um, I, I'm with you. Like, at least they, they are changing something. And as we talked about in the first segment, they're a three-game winning streak away from being right back in this thing. You know, that that's where we're at in the, the West right now with Saskatchewan and, and Calgary battling it out. We went, we went over Saskatch- or, uh, over Calgary's schedule in the last segment. This week, a bye for Edmonton. Uh, they still might find a way to lose. But after that, home against Winnipeg. Uh, at Hamilton, maybe. Maybe. that Maybe. Uh, home against Ottawa, maybe. So, like, maybe. I don't know if Edmonton's going to go into the, the Labor Day matchup against Calgary winless. But, obviously, you can't favor them against anybody because it's looked so bad there right now. We'll see what, what happens, um, but at least uh, we know today Jarius Jackson takes over as the offensive coordinator, and it'll be an open quarterback battle between Trey Ford and Jared Daggy going forward as Taylor Cornelius has been moved to the short yardage quarterback and third string quarterback going forward for Edmonton. On the other side, we'll kick off hour two with a Blue Jays chat. They're in action, needing a win against an AL East opponent. It'd be nice to see some wins against the Baltimore Orioles. But right now, the talk around the Toronto Blue Jays is all things trade deadline. Their latest acquisition, Jordan Hicks, has joined the team. He says he's ready to go. What does he bring to the Jays' bullpen? And what other moves could the Jays have in store? Ben Shulman, Jays Radio, joins us next to kick off Hour 2 here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.